Hey, welcome to Tuesday's podcast. It's uh, Glenn and Stu. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, we kind of highlight what's happening at 5 o'clock on the TV show today. An- another amazing interview. This one with a guy who was actually in the Ukrainian embassy, saw what was going on with the DNC, was a whistleblower. But this whistleblower, nobody in the DNC wants to talk about. We uh, have an interview with him, an exclusive today, 5 o'clock. If you've missed that, uh, we'll cover it uh, a bit of it tomorrow, of course. Uh, but you might want to go to The Blaze and watch it uh, because it's, uh, it's something that nobody seems to be talking about. We talk about it there. We also talk about the Hunter Biden interview on ABC. And we give you the, the facts and show you exactly how ABC um, set him up to be technically accurate, but not accurate accurate also Rand paul joins us he talks about what's happening in uh, syria with turkey his new book the case against socialism and a fascinating story of one of the most brutal abortionists and his possible nazi background the only people who actually did an interview with him we talked to him today on the podcast You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. So Joe Biden had his son, Hunter, go out and talk to the press and talk to the press. He did. Oh, it was grueling. If you didn't see it on ABC, we want to play uh, pieces of it here. Here's here's Hunter Biden on the cross. That is his last name. Your last name wasn't Biden. Do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. Oh, man. It's true. I mean, he's, he's right on that one. Uh, you, and I, I think he should probably acknowledge that. I mean, he did try to make the point that he's been on several other boards, before this, mm-hmm. which is one of the reasons he just didn't see any problem with the Burisma thing. Mm-hmm. He's already been mm-hmm. on like a bunch of boards for other companies. Now, of course, that's mm-hmm. also probably because his last name is Biden. Um, but you can see how he's he's caught in this bubble here, Glenn, mm-hmm. where daddy, you know, makes his life go really well, except, you know, when he's having his, you know, he's on you know, cocaine and things like that, that when he does things to his own life that he daddy can't necessarily bail him out of that. But he's had a lot of positive developments because of daddy's role. And so he doesn't even understand. He's never been anything other than the son of a senator or vice president. Sure. So how does he even relate the difference? Right. He doesn't exactly. understand your Well, life. you know, maybe, maybe uh, the reporter, by phrasing the question, uh, as we suggested, uh, did your appointment have anything to do with Joe Biden, your father, running point for Obama in Ukraine? Um, you know, your dad coordinated energy the ukraine energy and anti-corruption policies that directly affected burisma um did that have anything to do with your appointment and not letting him get away with well gee my name has been such a cross and i guess in many ways a blessing too but mainly a cross today that's what you have to ask jason buttrill joins us uh, now jason how are you Good. Um, he is uh, our chief researcher on all things Ukraine. 
Um, did you see the interview? I did. I, I would uh, that question right there like was just hilarious to me because if like I really wish that the Bidens would have granted us this interview it would have been so great <laughs> I would like to see a little more sarcasm I think from the interview uh er because- or just at least <laughs> it just at least a tough question right I mean ask it this way like how you were saying like it's just it, it's either a cosmic abnormality. Or maybe a little magic involved here, if it's not just pure coincidence. But every time you make a big business deal, it coincides with a meeting, sometimes the exact same day that your father was doing a major foreign policy move in that country. <laughs> right. How does that happen, Hunter? Well, <laughs> let, let's go into, let's skip down to Hunter Biden on his Burisma qualifications. What are you qualified to do besides go to rehab? What were your qualifications to be on the board of Burisma? Well, I was vice chairman of the board of Amtrak for five years. I was the stop, chairman of the stop, board stop, of the stop, stop, stop. I played with the stop. trains. Stop. <laughs> I was on the board of Amtrak, and, and we've, we've only lost billions of dollars. Yeah, and we should also note that my father's most famous anecdote is that he takes Amtrak every day. Yeah. Right? How did you get on that board? Yeah. Is it because your, your dad does millions of dollars of free <laughs> advertising all the time for them? That's Incredible. So I'm on. A, I'm a board uh, member of a failing business uh, <laughs> that my daddy uh, uses all the time. Uh, but other than that, uh, what are your qualifications? You ask. Go ahead. <laughs> Food program. I was a lawyer for Boys Schiller Flexner, one of the most prestigious law firms in the world. You didn't have any lawyer. extensive knowledge about natural gas or Ukraine itself, though. Uh, no, but I think that I had as much knowledge as anybody else that was on the board. If not more. In the list that you gave me of the mm. reasons why you're on that board, you did not list the fact that you were the son of the vice of course. president. Yeah, no. I, what I, role do you think that played? I think that it is impossible for me to be on any of the boards that I just mentioned without saying that I'm the son of the vice president of the United States. You were paid $50,000 a month for your position? Look, I'm a private citizen. One thing that I don't have to do is sit here and open my kimono as it relates to how much money I make or make or did or didn't. But it's all been reported. Because so he know he can't say Wait. yes to fifty thousand a month because it's much more it's than that. It's much more than that. Yeah. It's as high as two hundred thousand dollars a month, which has been reported. Mm-hmm. So he's not lying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not lying there. Um, you could tell he's his son too, man. He's got all the same mannerisms, I same mean, sound. Yeah. yeah, same sound. Same, sound. same way he speaks. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he really. There's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Okay. Here he is on leaving Burisma. Why did you leave the board in April? It's a five-year term. And you chose not to I chose not to. Why? I think it's pretty obvious why. This is your opportunity to say why. Well, because I think that it's become, this is what becomes a distraction, because I have to sit here and answer these questions. And so that's why I've committed that I won't serve on any boards or I won't work um, uh, directly for any foreign entities when my dad becomes president. Do you think that should be a rule across the board for any administration? No. Look, that's the rule that I'm going to adhere to. Do you regret being on the board to begin with? No, I don't regret being on the board. What I regret is not taking into account that there would be a Rudy Giuliani um, and a um, and a president of the United States that would be listening to this this ridiculous conspiracy idea, which has again been completely debunked by everyone. 
Whoa. And you know, I think we people are, at home are. are thinking, how could that not have crossed your mind? Or you wouldn't have felt just a little bit in your gut, like maybe this isn't a good idea to go and sit on the board of this well, I just said to you. company. I said that, I said to you, in retrospect, I wish right, my judgment. Time, you never, it never, you never thought he was drunk this might not look high. right. You know what? I'm a human. And you know what? Did I make a mistake? Well, maybe in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. But did I make a mistake based upon some unethical lapse? Absolutely not. Wow, is he his father. Mm. He is such his father. Um, all right. Well, so I've heard this line before, that it's all been dismissed and it's a conspiracy theory. Um, Mike, our producer, could we, uh, could we go into the time tunnel and just pull this piece from the audio vault? Yeah, this is uh, this is uh, Hillary? An, an interview of, from Hillary from back in the day mm-hmm. uh, that we got here just before the show to remind you uh, exactly how they handled these things previously. The great story here for anybody willing to find it and write about it and explain it is this vast right-wing conspiracy mm. that has been conspiring against my husband since the day he announced for president. Mm. 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 So this one is a, a vast right-wing conspiracy as well. We know how the last vast right-wing conspiracy turned out, uh, and, uh, and it didn't turn out well. And I don't think this one is either. Uh, but as she said, if there's anyone willing to look, because that, that part, I believe, was cut out of that, uh, that clip there. I think no, if anybody cares to look... And they did, and they found the yeah, the, the, the lack of the, the black the the the, uh, the vast white ring uh, white right wing conspiracy. Yeah, it wasn't there because there was other things that were there uh, on dresses and such. How do you feel? <laughs> uh, how do you feel, uh, Jason? When when you hear somebody say all this stuff has been debunked? Oh, and everyone's saying it. Uh, and it's absolutely ridiculous. It's actually something we're looking into right now because they say this. You'll you'll get Washington Post, New York Times. They'll write these huge, you know, fact-checking things. And they're like, oh, this is debunked or, oh, this was uh, disproven. And I'm like, this is weird because I've heard sworn people say in, like, sworn testimony the exact opposite. So when you look at it, it's the most misleading logic that they're using to do this. It, it is. No, it's it's, it's not even misleading. It, it is damn near criminal what they're doing. You would get in trouble with a judge if you were in the court. Yeah. And you did something like this. You would the, the, you would get sanctions against the attorneys that would do this. I don't know. And, and, and the, the stuff on, on, on what the Bidens were doing in Ukraine, China, all those places, like how is that debunked? I mean, this. I mean, it's it's fact that he had these these jobs that coincided that ran in parallel when his dad when his dad was uh, doing certain foreign policy things. It's now fact. They're, they're bringing up Rudy Giuliani, and I have to tell you right now, I don't know if Rudy Giuliani was doing what they're claiming he was doing. We haven't looked into Rudy Giuliani yet. We I just said uh, yesterday to the boys, we have to do a couple of things. I want to look into the press and see what their story is, and I want to either prove or disprove their story. Yeah. But- and find out what is what actually happened and what didn't happen on their side of the story, because I bet there's some things that are true that they're talking about. Uh, when that, And then if that relates to Rudy Giuliani and the president, we'll expose that as well. We're looking for truth. Truth. But as we are looking for it, it is incredible what the press is doing um and now they're saying that rudy giuliani and maybe this is partly true maybe this is all true i don't know at this point but they're saying rudy giuliani 
what he did is he just fired this. He got this ambassador fired because he had two friends who wanted to get into the oil and gas business. And he wanted to get them in so they could make a lot of money off of the U.S. aid that was being funneled to Ukraine. And so he, the person that was standing in the way of this corruption was the, uh, was the ambassador of Ukraine. And so he convinced Trump, you got to fire him because he's bad. And it was all just to make money in Ukraine. That's the story. Unfortunately, Let's say that's true, which I don't think it is, but maybe it is. Let's say that's true. That's exactly what Joe Biden was doing. That's exactly what Joe Biden was doing. Except he wasn't trying to fire the ambassador. The ambassador was working on his side uh, and stopping all investigations on Burisma because his son was in Burisma. And then instead of firing the ambassador, which works at the discretion of the president, he insists that they fire the investigator. Joe Biden had no right to insist that in a foreign country fires somebody if they want money. Yeah, a, a few things on the ambassador, because there's a lot of misdirection that the media is doing on this, like with their fact checking. But if you're focused on Rudy Giuliani and whatever the heck he was doing, which I, I think it's important, like you said, to know what they were doing. But I'd still think that is misdirection. You're, if you're focused on that, you're not focused on everything that Ukrainians were saying on the Ukrainian side. People like the former prosecutor, General Lutsenko, that said that this person gave him a do not prosecute list. That, there's no retraction there. So if anyone sees that and says that this has been debunked, that's oh, a I see, lie. I see that all the time. They say they walked back that claim. That's oh, an absolute lie. I, I'm so tempted to tell you now, but we are trying to put together uh, something with all of their claims, and I don't want to tip my hand yet. Uh, but that one, Stu, that, that, will, that will make blood shoot out of your eyes. <laughs> when you see what they say, when they say, oh, they, they walked that back. No, that, that was retracted. When you see... The truth about that and how they arrived at that, the media, blood will shoot out of your eyes. Have a pint or two of blood sitting next to you when we do that show next week. To replace the blood that's shooting out of your eyes? Yes. Okay. You're going to need a transfusion. It's not going to be pretty. We'll, we'll uh, go through some more of uh, the Biden stuff here coming up in just a second. I told you yesterday about 80% of gun crime in this country turns out to be committed by people who either got their gun illegally or got it from a friend or family member. Hmm. Now, while the conclusion is um, hopefully pretty obvious to you and me, it's definitely not obvious to people like Beto O'Rourke. Decades ago, the concept of losing our Second Amendment rights was a dim possibility that you could be forgiven for thinking it would never happen, but it is here. These days, you cannot think like that. This is why the USCCA wants you to take your own self-defense and the defense of your family seriously. When you join the USCCA, the United States Concealed Carry Association, you'll get instant access to industry-leading self-defense education, training, and legal protection. Plus, they're giving law-abiding citizens like you up to 17 guns for free. Every day this month, just text Glenn, G-L-E-N-N, to the number 87222 and claim your free entries to win. It's 100% secure. Confirmation text is going to be sent. It's Glenn 
to the number 87222. Glenn, text it to the number 87222. For more information and rules, go to protectanddefend.com. Standard message and data rates apply. 10 seconds, station ID. Rand Paul joins us. Mr. Rand Paul joins us in just a few minutes. Uh, he's going to be talking about uh, Turkey. You just are you gonna just uh, change the length of what ten seconds is when you say yep. pause for ten seconds station? You yep. do four or five. Yep, so that's the new ten seconds. That's the new ten seconds. Got it. Yep. Uh, I was wondering if you guys are gonna go over this one too uh, before we get back into the audio. The idea because he's trying to claim uh, Hunter Biden that he made no money off of the China uh, situation, hmm. and he, he he's flabbergasted on China like Ukraine. He sees how it looks bad, but he didn't do anything wrong. Well, let's play this. Let's play this audio first. Yeah. Go ahead. Here he is. The president has repeatedly said that you received $1.5 billion from China despite no experience and for no apparent reason. Obviously, fact checkers have said that that is not true. Look, this is literally has no basis in fact in any way. I, have you received any money from no, my business dealing? No. At all? Not no, one cent? Not one cent. Definitely not $1.5 billion. It's crazy. They feel like they have the license to go out and say whatever they want. It feels to me like living in um, some kind of Alice in Wonderland where you're up on the real world and then you fall down the rabbit hole and, you know, the president's a Cheshire cat asking you questions about crazy things that, that don't have bear any resemblance to the reality of, of uh, anything that has to do with me. And so, <laughs> here's, here's the answer. No one ever paid me $1.5 billion. Uh, and if they had, um, I would not be doing this interview right now. Now, I don't know that anything he said in that clip is untrue, technically. But it is such a misleading account of what occurred there. The $1.5 billion is the amount this company... Right, that he's associated with was not, trying not to associated raise. With he is a third partner. Yeah, right. It is he, him, mm-hmm. Christopher Hines, John Kerry's uh, son, mm-hmm. and uh, Devon Archer. Right, the the guy who they went to Yale with. Those three created a company, and that company signed a deal that no one else. You want to talk about a no bid mm-hmm. contract? No one else. Goldman Sachs. No one was offered this deal. It was a deal that gave sovereign funds. Yep, from the from the National Bank of China, which is the communist-run bank. It mm-hmm. is the state bank, the sovereign funds, and the social security money, if you will, from China. One point five billion was not given to this company. It was given to this company to invest. So they weren't paid $1.5 billion for their work. They were given $1.5 billion to invest for China. Their fees would come out of that $1.5 billion. Right. And so when he says he hasn't made any money, that's because he still owns part of the firm. He owns, I think, 10% of the firm. So if they were to have a successful business and then sell it, that's when he would take the money, right? Like, if you own... Like, it's like saying, like, if you bought um, a... Thank you. Uh, if you bought a stock at $20 and it goes up to 80 but you haven't sold it yet, you didn't make any money. Well, like, well, yeah, you didn't make any money yet because you haven't sold the stock yet. Correct. But you've made the money on paper and you could sell the stock whenever you wanted. Correct. This business, which he bought 10% of for $400,000, and it's bringing in billions... 
How much do you think this business is worth now? A lot more than $4 million, which was what they apparently valued it at. But I, I would still even, if, I, if, if you're giving this interview, I don't know how you give this without having the actual documentation where uh, journalists look through Morgan Stanley records. And they found that anonymous uh, LLCs were coming from China and Ukraine going directly into Hunter Biden's account. His account. Yeah, directly into Morgan it. Stanley. Mm-hmm. I mean, Morgan Stanley and and they haven't they haven't asked that question. This is why this was a Hunter Biden apology tour. This was for him just Mm -hmm. to get on and say, hey, I'm really sorry for what I've done. And, uh, you know, I made some mistakes. That's that's what this was about. This was not about getting to the truth. This was trying to bet it, but I think that last question or that last answer is going to come and bite him in the ass because we have the Morgan Stanley file. We know offshore China was was paying him and putting it directly into his Morgan Stanley account. We also know that he owns 10% of the company that received the $1.5 billion to invest. Well... Okay, the value of your company just went up. So uh, ABC did a uh, interview with uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son today. And my guess is the the one thing that he did say that's going to be a real problem. Excuse me, is uh, is this particular answer about did you make any money in China? Listen. The president has repeatedly said that you received $1.5 billion from China, despite no experience and for no apparent reason. Obviously, fact checkers have said that that is not true. Look, this is literally has no basis in fact in any way. I have, have you received any money from no. that business dealing? No. At all? Not no. one cent? Not one cent. Definitely not $1.5 billion. It's crazy. They feel like they have the license to go out and say whatever they want. It feels to me like living in um, some kind of Alice in Wonderland where you're up on the real world and then you fall down the rabbit hole and, you know, the president's a Cheshire cat asking you questions about crazy things that, that don't have bear any resemblance to the reality of, of uh, anything that has to do with me. And so, <laughs> here's, here's the answer. No one ever paid me $1.5 billion. Uh, and if they had, um, I would not be doing this interview right now. Do you see this? First, he says, were you paid, were you paid $1.8 million? No, I wasn't. You, so you didn't make any money? No, not one cent. No, that's going to be trouble. Then he says, you know, I live in this upside-down world where... Uh, you know, the Cheshire cat, and uh, they can say whatever they want, but it's just not true. No one, then there was an edit, and he says, let me just say this. No one ever paid me $1.8 million, a billion dollars. Didn't happen. Well, that's not the accusation. The accusation is your company was given $1.8 billion to invest for China, and your company co-bought companies in america and in china and you were doing business with them i will say there is it's a little more complicated than that in that they are using a little bit of media sleight of hand here because the president did say 
$1.5 billion specifically specifically that he received. So instead of fact-checking Peter Schweitzer's claim or fact-checking Glenn Beck's claim in a, in a wide-ranging investigation, they fact-checked the president in an offhanded remark for, where he's summarizing the information imprecisely. So they say, oh, well, did you get paid $1.5 billion like Trump said? Well, Trump is not the guy doing the investigations. He's just, you know, he read a story about it and is quoting it back. And $1.5 billion is in the story. It's just not a direct payment to Hunter Biden. So in a way, they get around him having to lie, right, by presenting the information in an inexact way, which is, you know, it's it's helpful. It's it's a helpful way. way. He he can say truthfully he did not get paid $1.5 billion. But that is not the allegation if you actually read the reporting. He can even say that his company was not paid $1.8 billion because it wasn't. It was a fundraise, right? It was given $1.8 billion was given to the company by China to invest. They said, we want you to invest this $1.8 or $1.5 billion. That's what it is. He ran an investment firm. And by the way, that was uh, 10 days after he flew with his daddy on Air Force Two to China. Now, certainly, that's just a coincidence, just like all the other loads of coincidence you pile on top of this, how they got their business license approved a few days after this. All of these things that they just brush off in the fact-checking on it. It was like, well, look, uh, that just happened to be a coincidence. Well, one of them, well, he went to China because his daughter wanted to go and he needed a chaperone. She needed a chaperone. That's why he went to China. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Because that's... That's common. That's common, right? Mm-hmm. That's 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 it. It's it's the chaperone thing. Not the fact. Ten days after this trip, they got one point five billion dollars from the Bank of China. But the media is going with it was a chaperone trip, chaperoning the <laughs> daughter to China. That's what we're supposed to believe. What what I love about this also the China thing is the perfect uh, example for this because in in communist probably every communist country ever. They have what they call the communist princelings. And the princelings are the sons of the Communist Party, Politburo. Mm-hmm. And they go all over the world and they uh, they make millions and billions of dollars um, enriching their family. And it's, it's totally out in the open. They don't even try to hide it. And we'd be like, oh my gosh, that would never happen here. I mean, this is America. It's happening now. Hunter Biden is a princeling. He is the exact same thing mm-hmm. as a Communist Party princeling. Now, the thing is, we're not saying there's anything even illegal about this, because there's not. It's absolutely corrupt and dirty. But by the, with the way the rules are right now, do you want someone like that to be president? It's like, oh, yeah, I've, I've got a princeling in my family, and we, we know about it. And yeah, and, he's and made millions. let me be clear. Because it's not illegal, I'm not saying that Trump isn't doing this with his princelings. I don't know. There's well, I, no there's no yeah. evidence. There's no evidence. But it's not illegal. It's just grotesque. Yeah. Now, to deny it shows you know something's wrong. You know this is wrong to do. You know this won't sit well with people. There are multiple levels of this, right? As he points out in that one clip, he his last name is Biden. It's impossible to, unless he changes his name, it's impossible to separate himself from that. And if your dad is the vice president of the United States, you're getting benefits out of that. The same way I, I believe the Trump children, who are still in business internationally, 
are benefiting, not because they're trying, like that, that's not even an well, accusation of wrongdoing, no. right? Like it's just people are going to see that and be like, I want to get close to these people. Right. It's just natural. Okay. There's another level if you go beyond that where there's a real right. problem. So here's, here's a great example. Ivanka Trump, she wanted to have uh, uh, trademarks in China. Mm-hmm. She needed trademarks for her line of whatever she was selling. And she hadn't gotten them, hadn't gotten them, hadn't gotten them. Uh, her dad is president, well, three months or six months into the presidency, <laughs> all of a sudden China approves those. Oh. Now, that's not, that. that's getting a benefit from your dad being the president. That's not uh, a, a collusion kind of right. thing. Okay, you didn't go over with your dad while he was having meetings with the Communist Party (laughs) and you had a meeting with the Communist Party bank. And then they offered you something that they've never offered anyone ever, ever, ever in the history of China. And it's a long history. No one else has gotten this deal. Yeah. Well, now that's completely different. And this is this is a big piece of pushback from the left. They say, well, look at Donald Trump's kids. They're out there doing international business. But the, I think the separation here is that Donald Trump's kids had been doing international business the, the entire time. Right. They already were doing international business all over the world. That was their role. Hunter Biden is jumping into the oil and gas industry and these high-level investment uh, banks with no previous experience in these fields. And all of these dates are lining up exactly. The fact that Donald Trump Jr. is closing a, a hotel somewhere else, is he getting a benefit because of his name? Well, he was getting a benefit because of his name before Donald Trump was president. The Trump so name the, made business move all over the world long before this. Here's the difference. Here's the difference. Are you closing deals um, and should they be closing deals? No, I think Donald Trump should be separated from all of his business uh, like every other president is supposed to, supposed to have been, okay? And that's not, again, not, you don't have to do that. No, you don't have to do that. Um, however, you know, Joe Biden will say, well, I, I have all of my investments in, you know, in, in black boxes, so I don't know what they are. I, I'm not making any money. My wife's not making any money. Right. Your son just went out and made all of the deals. So it, <laughs> the, the little black box doesn't make any difference if you are tying your policies to something where you're making money. For let me give you an example. Um, I don't. I don't have a problem with uh, Ivanka getting her trademarks because that's a company or that's a country going. You know what? Uh, just give her the trademarks and maybe we can use that. We'll have that as a chit that the table we can play. Okay. No problem with that. Now there is no evidence of this, but I'm just using this as an example. If Donald Trump who I believe has a Trump Tower in Turkey, if Trump had made some deal with um, Erdogan where he was talking to Erdogan about moving some things, and at the same time, his son was also saying, hey, by the way, we need a special deal on our hotel over here, and they happened at the same time or within 10 days of one another— the press would go crazy, but so would I, and I think you would too. If he has used his policy to enrich himself, that's a problem. Even if that policy is something he would have done before, 
if he was doing that and enriching himself at the same time. You know the press would go crazy on that. And and the Trumps would say, they weren't connected. They weren't connected. They just happened to be, come on. Your son knew that you were going to be doing things in in Turkey and you were working on that deal. It's too much of a coincidence to believe that it happened 10 days apart from each other, right? We would all be outraged by that. But my outrage would be exactly the same for this Hunter Biden deal because that's exactly what happened with Hunter Biden. We don't have anything on Donald Trump. But if you find something like that on Donald Trump, I will be as upset as I am with Hunter Biden as I am with... Uh, with uh, Donald Trump and whoever else he was in bed with, I'd be exactly the same. What the media is trying to do is trying to tell you, well, Trump does this stuff anyway. Trump does this stuff. And besides, he didn't do that. Trump probably did. But but Hunter Biden didn't do that. And even if he did do that, it's not illegal. You see how this is working? They don't care about one side of it i care about both and i think america cares about both this is what when you said hope and change when you voted for for barack obama well very few people in the sound of my voice but the people who voted for barack obama this is what they were looking for i'm tired of corruption i'm tired of backroom deals i'm tired of people enriching themselves i'm tired of them telling me one thing and then doing another And when Barack Obama didn't deliver on that promise, people said, you know what? None of them will deliver. We've tried this over and over again. I want a hand grenade. And they selected Donald Trump as a hand grenade. And he's been taking this stuff on and blowing it up. Now, if he's blowing it up, but he's doing it at the same time, that's a problem. But not just for him. That's a problem for him, Mitch McConnell, uh, Joe Biden, and everyone else who has been a part of this. I think we need to start looking for truth and not for the next election. And right now, we have facts on the ground that Hunter Biden is lying to you today. And, And Joe Biden knows it, and so does the media. And next week, we'll prove to you that the media knows exactly what they're doing. The best of the Glenn Beck program. Hey, it's Glenn, and you're listening to the Glenn Beck program. If you like what you're hearing on this show, make sure you check out Pat Gray Unleashed. It's available wherever you download your favorite podcasts. The Case Against Socialism by Senator Rand Paul. Welcome to the program, sir. How are you? Hey, Glenn. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, So we've been waiting for people to make the case against socialism because it's not being made anywhere. We're erasing our history, and we are not teaching what socialism really is. Most people think that it's like some sort of social network or, I love this one, just charity. It's kindness. Yeah, and this is the thing. You look at polls of young people, and over half of the young people have a favorable perception of socialism. But then you do an additional polling question. You say, well, what is socialism? And only about 16, 17 percent of young people can identify it as state ownership of the means of production. And so really, you're right. They're confused. But that confusion is, is, is a real problem. You know, when I was a kid, 
uh, liberals who probably were socialist were embarrassed to say they were, and they would never use the word because it had negative connotations. The fact that we've gotten to a point in our history where the negative connotations, the genocide and the famine that seem to have always been associated with real socialism, that seems to be lost. Our government schools are not teaching about Hitler's socialism or Stalin's socialism or Mao or Pol Pot or Castro or even now Chavez and Maduro. They're not teaching the kids about this. And we have even some crazy people on television. I don't know if you've ever heard of this show, The View, but <laughs> we got a crazy woman screaming on that program at me, that, oh, Maduro is a thug, he's a thug, he's not a socialist. And it's like, well, maybe he's a socialist and a thug, and maybe there's a connection between socialism and thuggery. Well, they will, but they will not, as you found out, they will not admit that. They admit that they'll say that that's just socialism done wrong. But when you ask, where has it been done correctly, they can't tell you. They'll say places like Sweden. And I know in your book, you, you say that uh, Sweden riches actually come from capitalism, and the Nordic model is welfareism, not socialism. What's the difference? Yeah, we look at this extensively in the book because this is what Bernie and AOC point towards. They point to that we want the socialism of Scandinavia. But like when the prime minister of Denmark heard this, he said, Bernie, pipe down. We're not socialist. We're open for business. We have private property. The corporations are owned privately. We have free and open trade with the world. And in fact, most economic indexes list the Scandinavian countries in the top 10 of sort of the freest trading and free market countries. Now, they do have a welfare state, and we have to decide whether we want that welfare state, but what Bernie is telling you about their welfare state is also untrue. He's saying that we can have all these free socialist goodies in America, but we're only going to tax the rich people. In Scandinavia, what we discovered in the book is the vast majority of the taxes are paid by the working class through a 25% sales tax and also through an income tax that starts at about 60000 it's 60% income tax. Oh so the middle class and the poor are paying the taxes for all the so-called free things in Scandinavia. And the free things are not even free things. For instance, <laughs> uh, college. They say free universal college. Um, and free, I put in quotation marks, because it isn't free. They pay for it through high taxes. But the other thing about college that's interesting, we learned in looking at it, their percentage of people who go to college, even though it's free, is not a great deal higher than ours, because guess what? When it is free, you have to restrict the access. So it's sort of like health care. You wait in line for health care because everybody wants to go because it's free, so you have to restrict the access. Same with college. If it's free, everybody wants to go. So they have extensive exams. They do in China as well. They have these 10-hour exams in China to get into college. So we think as, you know, the people who want to be free ought to be careful what they wish for because they may, they may well be one of those not going to college because they don't do very well in the exam. So the um, let me go back in time, too, uh, because you, you spend some time uh, about authoritarianism that is linked with socialism. And um, in in that section, you talk about uh, Hitler, uh, how the Nazis hated it, uh, how it encourages eugenics. Is there anything in this in this section that really stood out to you as the point that can that that can change people? You know, I think the question of the book is is whether or not uh, violence is inherent uh, to socialism. And so Hayek and others have said, 
that when you want complete socialism, when you want complete ownership of the means of production, of private property, and when the government does that, there will be resistance. So the reason why you don't get kinder, gentler dictators or kinder, gentler socialist leaders is that if you're too kind, the people will resist you. You have to be ruthless. So in some ways, in order to get the property from its previous owners, you select out for the most ruthless. So we shouldn't be surprised that it's Hitler, that it's Stalin, that it's Mao, that it's Pol Pot. We shouldn't be surprised that there's a ruthlessness and a violence because people don't want to have their stuff taken away from them. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, uh, the idea that um, Elizabeth Warren uh, could be the candidate for for uh, the Democratic presidential uh, campaign is a little terrifying to anyone that I know that runs a business, big or small. Uh, what do you think? What do you think the ramifications are of of one of these real socialists getting in? I think it's interesting that you know everybody said, "Oh, Wall Street loves Hillary Clinton," and then immediately after she was defeated, Wall Street roared. And so I think the same would happen in reverse with Elizabeth Warren. If she were to take over, Wall Street will curl up in a ball and say, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do for four years? The uncertainty of all the new regulations. If there's one thing she's famous for, it's regulating the heck out of businesses. And it does stifle innovation and it stifles growth. I, I saw some statistics. It was yesterday, the day before, on the Trump administration still repealing regulations. The economic boom and, and boost that you get from repealing regulations and having business believe they're not going to be overregulated, uh, I don't think can be overstated. So you you make the point in the book about um, uh, about capitalism being the best thing for the poor and, and everything else, except it's flipped around by the media and by universities that really socialism is about caring socialism is about charity it's it's all about heart and it's that evil capitalism that is really putting people down we have an interesting quote in the book where we talk about who tries to is trying to please whom in socialism or capitalism in capitalism people are producing goods and they care about the democratic vote of everybody buying those goods so they really care about the consumers And they do care about the people because they're trying to produce something at the least expensive cost and get more people to like their stuff. Under socialism, it's not so much caring about the consumers. It's caring about uh, the people who support your candidacy and within the party and pleasing those people. So there ends up being an elite in both societies. In a capitalist society, under democratic capitalism, people vote every day with their dollars, and whoever makes the best stuff at the cheapest price gets more of those dollars. Under socialism – You have a top 1%. So in Venezuela, there is a top 1%, but it's Maduro. So Maduro is 50 pounds overweight, and the average Venezuelan's lost 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. So there's an elite, but it's him and his generals who are well-fed, and and everyone else is starving. Rand, let me switch uh, topics. Um, The president has uh, allowed um, our troops to be withdrawn from Syria, uh, and I'm really torn on this because— these guys we were in bed with, they were corrupt from the beginning. When when John McCain went over with Hillary Clinton, uh, with uh, not Hillary Clinton, with uh, Barack Obama's uh, blessings to embrace these people, uh, I, I, I ranted every night. These are not good people. We should not be over in inserting ourselves in with these people, especially. This is not going to work out well. Now the president pulls people out and we have this mess on our hand. But I... 
I don't know how else to get out of there other than just to get out of there. Well, people need to remember the beginning of the Syrian war. And for years and years, it was Lindsey Graham and Hillary Clinton, both on the same side, both supporting Sunni extremists against Assad. Now, Assad is no angel, but most of the Christians in the country actually sided with Assad and had been a minority religion protected by Assad's government for decades. But the Sunni extremists that we supported, or our government supported, Hillary Clinton and Lindsey Graham, if those people had taken over, my fear is that their ideology would have been closer to the ISIS caliphate than it would have been to anything the West has known. But it's a very complicated situation. Turkey is, a, is misbehaving in the region, buying Russian missiles, etc. They are uh, an authoritarian government and a NATO ally. By the NATO alliance, we're supposed to defend them against attack. Their current allies are somebody called the Free Syrian Army. That's who's uh, doing a lot of these battles within Syria. It's a militia, but we were allied with the Free Syrian Army for seven years. They're fighting against the Kurds. The Syrian Kurds, uh, uh, their political ideology is socialism. In fact, the Kurdish Workers' Party is socialist and terrorist within Turkey. Interestingly, the Iraqi Kurds, who have been our friends and have some autonomy in Iraq, don't like the Syrian Kurds and actually have an arrangement with Turkey where they've turned over Kurdish Worker Party uh, terrorists back to Turkey. The Iraqi Kurds have a good relationship with Turkey currently. There's 1,800 Turkish businesses in Iraqi Kurdistan. That's the model we should be looking for. And I think the irony of this is if you care about the Kurds, it actually may turn out that in the last 24 hours there is an alliance between Assad and the Kurds developing and that maybe the Syrians can convince the Turks that they will control their country. There will be no Kurdish incursions into Turkey, but there need be no Turkish incursions into Syria. And maybe there could be a development of a semi-autonomous region. Assad needs allies. If he could get the Kurds to be allies and say, we are Syrian Kurds, we have a province up here, you leave us largely alone, kind of like a federal model like we have, maybe there could be some peace. What's been preventing peace for years now is the neocons have said, oh, we have to topple Assad and we have to have regime change and nobody would talk to Assad. In the end, I think Assad is there to stay, at least for a while, and needs to be part of any kind of peace plan. But you would admit that this is really ugly right now. It is, and I think it's also something we had no control over. So the Turks called up President Trump and said, we're coming one way or another. And President Trump looked at his generals and said, we have 50 people there. Would it be smart to leave 50 people in the wave of a Turkish invasion? The mainstream media is pointing it out. Oh, he gave them the green light and said, come on, we'll get out of the way. I don't think that's the way it developed. I think the way it developed is... The Turks have been chomping at the bit for a year or two to come in and wipe out the people who they believe are their enemies and some of whom probably are terrorists. They've been wanting to wipe them out. And I think the discussion was finally Erdogan says we are coming one way or another. And then the president had to decide whether or not leaving 50 soldiers in the middle of a war was a good idea. The president also said from the very beginning that his goal was to defeat ISIS. ISIS is defeated. ISIS holds no territory. Is the ideology still there? Are there still some people? Sure, there always will be. But ISIS is defeated. That was our goal. Our goal was not to make Syria a country. Our goal was not to give the Syrian Kurds a country. Our goal was to defeat ISIS. And so I think we did accomplish that goal, and we shouldn't change the goal. Senator Rand Paul, thank you so much. I appreciate it. The name of the book is The Case Against Socialism. It's uh, available everywhere now. Senator Rand Paul. This is the best of the Glenn Beck Program.
Hey, it's Glenn. And if you like what you hear on the program, you should check out Pat Gray Unleashed. His podcast is available wherever you download your favorite podcast. Hi, it's Glenn. If you're a subscriber to the podcast, can you do us a favor and rate us on iTunes? If you're not a subscriber, become one today and listen on your own time. You can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. We have uh, producer and director of Inwood Drive, Mark Archer. He has won a whole bunch of awards, and I don't know if that's going to end now because because he found himself kind of in this um, uh, the, the the middle of this story about one of the worst uh, abortionists in uh, American history, Dr. Ul- Ulrich Klopfer. Um, he is also joined by his wife. She is not on yet, but she, she's going to be joining in a minute. Amber, she is also a producer of this. Uh, welcome to the program, Mark. Thank you, Glenn. It's good to be here. Thank you. So why did you start this particular uh, documentary? <laughs> Well, it wasn't to get rich and famous, I'll tell you. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. You know, we uh, we were just fascinated by the story of <clears throat> of how grassroots efforts in northeast Indiana led to the shutdown of an abortionist. We're always told that it's a federal issue, it's a Supreme Court issue, there's nothing that you can do about it. And, you know, I'm I'm drawn to story. <clears throat> and I looked at it. And I said, you know, this is fascinating that this happened. And I want to know how it happened, because I think if other communities could hear this story of how this happened, that they would be encouraged. Powered. So um, I don't know how you've won all these awards, if this is your <laughs> POV, but God bless you, Mark. Um, so, um, so you started out now, did you know that, uh, cause I'm, I'm really unfamiliar with his history, uh, and how they shut it down. Was, was it, uh, obvious to you, this is a really spooky guy that might be keeping remains in his backyard? Well, it wasn't obvious until we went in to actually interview him. Uh, we, we knew when we started down this path to do the film, in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm going to have to at least try to talk to him. And I'll be honest, I didn't really want to, but you know, when you're trying to be truthful to a story, it means that you have to let people at least have the opportunity. And so it was actually um, one of the more cordial conversations that we've had. And I just called them up on the phone. I told them who we were and what we were doing and that we wanted to talk to him. So he invited us to come to his clinic. Now, his clinic had been closed for five years, but he still came to his clinic every Wednesday, spent the night in the clinic, and then got up the next morning and left and drove to his South Bend clinic and spent the night there. So he was still making his rounds. He hadn't been, he'd been out of business for five years. So why was he going Uh, to his clinic? What was his excuse for that? uh, You know, when I asked him, um, I said, you know, most people that are retired go and play golf. And, and he said, uh, well, it's just, you know, I got to check on the property. And that was all the all the more reasoning that we got, it was obvious as soon as we walked in that he was a hoarder. I mean, you had to, 
kind of, you know, make a pass <laughs> just to get anywhere. It and was, this was, was in his house, not the clinic. This was his house. Uh, no, this was in his clinic. In, in his Portland. clinic. Yeah. Okay, so in the interview, um, are you, you say it's one of the more cordial, but are you creeped out by him? Other than he's a hoarder, what else do you see? Uh, well, you know, George, he wanted us to, to call him George instead of Ulrich. Um, he was all over the place. His, his science was skewed. His, his reasoning was skewed. Um, he, you know, he referred to, uh, Adolf Hitler as uncle Adolf. I mean, it was, it was just weirdness all over the place. Okay. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Can you give me, does he have a heavy German accent when he's speaking to you? He oh, give very me a, heavy. very heavy. How old very was heavy. he? How old was he when he moved from Germany? You know, I think he was about. He was eleven. He was eleven, he was 11. and yeah. he grew up during the war. Yeah, so he started telling us about um, being in Dresden as a young boy when this. Uh, when the Allied firebombings. Now, did you did you bring this? How did Uncle Adolf come to play here? <laughs> Uncle, Uncle Adolf came up when we uh, when actually Amber asked him if he had um, if he had asked for forgiveness for the sin of killing uh, children. Okay, do we have Amber on and, the phone yet? Let's put. Yeah, let let me let me join in uh, Amber here. Oh. Can we jo- can we join the two of them? Yeah, all right, good. Amber, hi. So, hi there. So you went you went full Nazi on him. <laughs> oh, I, you know I did. Yeah, you yeah. know I think for for me when we went in there, I knew I would probably never get another opportunity to talk to this man, mm-hmm. and I just was there to extend grace and the love of Christ. You know, this is who we are. It's what we do, and he he he. Um, he didn't like that I challenged him, and I just I just asked him, "Have you asked for forgiveness for for killing children?" And he said, "No, I've done nothing wrong." And I told him that there's there's forgiveness, even even now for you, George. There's forgiveness for what you've done. And he said, "Well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to see Uncle Adolf and Mussolini and Stalin." <laughs> so. Wow. <laughs> He may be surprised. Um, the elevator may go a different direction if he's expecting to see those guys. Uh, so yeah, I think so. When he said Uncle Adolf, <laughs> is this the first time the Nazis kind of came into things? Uh, I, I think, you know, he, because he, he, he told us a lot of his upbringing, and, but that, that, was, that was the first time that we heard the, the Nazis. Okay. <laughs> And when you say that his science mark was a bit screwed up, um, is it is it a kind of a Nazi eugenics kind of thing? What what do you mean his science was screwed up? So he had a, a real problem um, with his shifting definition of when life starts, and he would he would compare it to well, if you if you have a a fetus in a test tube and it's you know at this gestational age and you and you take it out of the test tube it won't survive and then he would he would kind of swing around and um, talk about um, that that the baby inside the womb when you do a sonogram and you hear the the baby's heartbeat 
he uh, he said, well, that's not the baby's heartbeat. That's the mother's heartbeat. And I, <laughs> I looked <laughs> okay. at him. I said, now, now, George, I have three daughters. <laughs> I know I'm not a doctor, but I've seen, I've, I've heard three of these, you know, I've gone through this three times. That is that is not mom's heartbeat. That's a little heart going. Yeah, maybe maybe and mom he, sitting on a bunny rabbit would be a little more believable, but not mom's heartbeat. No, okay. it was it, it was just uh, it and it was things like that. And I looked at him. And I said, George, are you, I am going to challenge you on that. And he just looked incredulous and said, You can't challenge me on that. And I that's when you know you're just you're not dealing with a sane mindset on okay. the other side. So, um, Amber, let me go back to mm-hmm. Uncle Adolf. As he says sure. that, does he then, is this when he reveals his motivations? Um, no, I don't know. He doesn't really reveal his motivations. He's just always angry. He, he's, he's really mad at talking about what what we did, the Americans did, and in, in the bombings of Dresden and um, it was, you know, you could you could read into it and know where he was going, but he never was was forthcoming and outright said, you know, I'm here to to seek revenge on all the Americans. So then, how did you how do you draw that conclusion? Well, from what everyone, uh, I mean, we we talked to a lot of the um, the the pro life people and the sidewalk counselors, and there have been many stories through the years. And as Mark pointed out, you know, we weren't sure that they were true. So it was just going in and, and talking to him. But, you know, now, knowing what we know about George since his passing, um, well, you could start to put things together. So, I mean, so, well, like, what were the stories that you, you weren't sure that were true? Mark, I'll pass it off to Mark. He dealt with most of the people. Honest, honestly, the, the entire Dresden story. Um, I, I had heard it in, in many forms through the years leading up to it, leading up to interviewing George, but I didn't believe all of it. I, <clears throat> I, so and, people and, you know, had said, people had said this, that he had said it, or they concluded that he was trying to pay back America by killing our babies because they killed, uh, because Americans dropped the bombs and killed so many German babies. Mm-hmm. What I had been told from various sources that had dealt with him directly was he told me this and he told me this and I and and so uh, you know I I I had multiple accounts of this but I went in and I thought okay I, I I'm going to have an open mind and you know maybe I'll we'll get to that Mm -hmm. and I'll ask him about it, but I didn't go in and say, so are you a Nazi? It was, um, you know, he, we were only a couple minutes into our conversation and he just started talking about Dresden and just this whole thing of, you know, all these awful things that he saw, uh, how many people were killed and, and it wasn't just Dresden then it was, it was surviving through um, when the Soviets invaded, mm. they, and, and they, they watched that all happen. So really his childhood, his early childhood up until, you know, almost a teenager okay. was dealing with that. 
Okay, so hang on. I got to take a one minute break and then I want to come back and uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit about. So you guys find out he dies and his family goes into the garage and they find out that he has hoarded dead babies and they're all in his garage. Mm-hmm. How surprised were you to hear that? I, th- I think the, the, the term that we used was shocked but not surprised. I mean, it, we 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 knew that he was a hoarder. So the the shock. Yeah, of but it, a lot of people are hoarders. They don't necessarily hoard dead babies. <laughs> you know, it's a different level. Yeah. So so that was the shock, but the not surprised because I mean he's we we figured in his career he he told us his first abortion was in Chicago in 1974, and we figured his career total probably 50,000 abortions so you know that's you just know the the depravity that you're dealing with so wow um uh and now so you have finished the film but you've gone back in to re-edit with you know some new light on this when are when are you planning on releasing and how's that going what what's happening with it you know it's it's uh it's an interesting story. We had the film done. We had a private screening for our supporters because this was all financed by us and donors to our nonprofit. Mm. We showed the film one night and then about a week later we found out George had died. And we paused and we went, "Well, maybe we should include this in the story." And then 10 days after that, the news broke about the dead babies. So we have been um, just kind of waiting and watching like everyone else <clears throat> because, you know, we thought, okay, now they've kind of uh, they've started dealing with getting the babies back to Indiana and talking mm-hmm. about how to proceed with, uh, you know, a burial service, things like that. We wanted to include that. And then another another round of dead babies found in the trunk of one of his cars. Oh, my gosh. So it's it's just been uh, for us the the answer is well it'll be it'll be out next year, <laughs> yeah. but we're kind of in this hold where we're going well we 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 keep thinking the story is has, over has concluded itself and then and then they find something else so we're we're kind of like everybody else just going how how much how much worse can it get It's amazing I've been to Fort Wayne I love Fort Wayne I love Fort Wayne and to have this horror show. Uh, in you know Fort Ra- in and around Fort Wayne is just bizarre um, because mm-hmm. it's a nice little town and you wouldn't think that a a German it sounds like a German Nazi uh, is hoarding babies in his uh, garage would happen uh, anywhere but let alone you know a place like a place like you know Indiana. Uh, thank you guys so much. Please let us know when you're ready to release it. And uh, I, mm-hmm. I'd love to see the film, and and, uh, and we support you in your work. Thank you so much. Mark Archer, Amber thank Archer. Uh, the Thanks. name of the Thanks movie, you, you're welcome. The name of the movie is Inwood Drive. Inwood Drive, we will let you know when it finally is released. The Blaze Radio Network. On Demand.